This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. All opinions expressed by Leah and Matt or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Inspire Wealth Partners or Entrusted Accounting. Clients of Inspire Wealth Partners may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to Money Rules Don't Rule. Again, we're your hosts, Leah Haint and Matt Cooley. Today, we are talking about wealth. I know. What do we mean? Wealth? Who has it? Who doesn't? It's this kind of nebulous thing that I constantly keep grasping and never quite attain. Let's talk about it. Matt, how are you today? I'm excellent. It's a beautiful day. My little guy slept more than two hours last night, and I am ready to roll. Nice. Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, wins all around. How are you? Matt, I'm doing well today. I'm doing really well today. I'm out of tax season, which feels really good to focus on some creative projects, on some business admin, and I am looking forward to a weekend. Fantastic. Well, thank you for engaging in this conversation today about wealth. We're going to talk about what it is. Uh, Can we see it? Uh, If we can't see it, why do we hide it? Words matter, and what does the calculation of wealth even really mean? So I think we have a lot to cover, and let's just dive in. Um, Matt, I'll start off with kind of how I've been stewing on wealth for these last several months. And I know that there's a lot in the collective cultural conversation about wealth and who has it and who's been shut out of it. But for the most part, I just want to boil it down to it's the money you don't spend, and therefore you amass and acquire that allows freedom of choice. And like my personal definition of wealth is living below your means, which is the money you don't spend. So you can create excess and that equals opportunities. You have the capacity and the wherewithal and the flexibility and freedom to go after what you really want in your life, which is where we started. What's the return on your life? So comments, feedbacks about that. What do you think about wealth? Yeah. I think you've got it exactly right. You know, as we've previously talked about, wealth is just a tool that creates the freedom and the opportunity to live the life uh, that you want to and live life on your terms and do the things that are important to you. What's important to you is, or at least should, be defined by you and only you. Yeah. And so from both of our professions, um, we bump into the concept of wealth quite a bit. I mean, what you were trying to do is to help people inspire wealth partners um, so they can live the life that they want that's important to them. And a lot of folks come to me, how can I keep more of my money? How can I reduce my taxes? How can I um, be strategic in that kind of game planning? So I think that, that you and I interact with this with clients on a pretty regular basis, and it means something different to everyone. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's the money you don't spend that you can create excess, you can have those opportunities. And sometimes we chunk away at it like penny by penny. And maybe toward the end of our life, we really have kind of that comfortable cushion to then feel like we can do the things that we want to do. It's tricky. It's tricky. We can think about wealth and we can have so many judgments around it um, and what people do with their wealth, how they choose to spend it or give it or donate it or invest it. But at the end of the day, because it's the stuff we don't spend, we can't really see it. 
can we? Not really. I think we try to show it sometimes. <laughs> um, there was a, a book titled Stop Acting Rich, which is a really good book. It was written about 10 years ago by a PhD professor named Thomas Stanley. In the book, he talks about how the less affluent have fallen into this elite luxury brand trap that keeps them from acquiring wealth. In his book, he references a really interesting study um, showing the median vehicle price driven by millionaires. And it is $31,000. And this was 10 years ago. So you inflate that a little bit for today. But the median vehicle price driven by millionaires was just over $31,000 about 10 years ago, which I think deviates from most people's perception of what wealthy individuals drive and what wealthy individuals do. And then a few years later, a, a Forbes study showed that 61% of vehicles driven by those making 250K or more were either a Toyota, a Honda, or a Ford, which would support Stanley's assertion that those building wealth aren't buying luxury brands as much as you'd think and spending money on depreciating assets like vehicles. I think it's natural to aspire to appear wealthy, uh, but behaving in a way that's preventing you from accumulating real wealth and the values that help people build wealth are not necessarily the values that say you need to show status symbols to to prove your wealth that is so interesting to me so the millionaires driving like equivalent of junker cars oh my gosh like i never would have put two and two together like if you have it you might as well be comfortable but this author is indicating that like actually it's kind of the reverse like the conscientious spending, some people would call it frugality, some people would call it intentional, but whatever their focus and goal and strategy is, they are keeping their eye on the target. Like this concept of a depreciable asset, you mentioned that about vehicles and where that comes from is like it immediately starts losing value the minute you drive it off the lot. Like you buy it for 30 and good luck selling it for more than 15. Like just instantly, it is not an appreciable asset it is a depreciable asset it is always going to come down because it's going to have wear and tear so if we think about those purchases in our life trying to focus on the ones that are actually going to build value and wealth and not ones that are just going to be cash out so we can't really see wealth it's like counterintuitive that showing off wealth keeping up with the joneses putting the effort into appearances in all things like the material things we buy it's like that very spending that decreases wealth. They had it a few minutes ago and then they spent it and now it's gone. And the very act of spending it means we've no longer acquired it and amassed it. Interesting. So it seems like that teeter-totter back and forth seesaw. So it sounds like wealth takes a lot of discipline. Yeah. Yeah. You hit it on the head. I think a lot of times with wealth building, there's a discipline that takes place in the darkness and there's sacrifice mm -hmm. that goes into it that at the end of the day, you're not receiving that social reward or, or social recognition that, you know, just honestly and candidly, we feed off of in, in today's day and age and, and this culture. And that's why it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to like fitness goals or diet goals or anything that we, ha that we do has really visible external effects and that hard discipline and quiet confidence of saving, of investing, of keeping your eye on the prize doesn't. And we're in kind of a clickbait culture right now, that instant reward, that instant gratification, that instant approval. The number of likes you get on your social media accounts and the comments and all of that, so that social recognition and reward. Yeah, interesting. So if we can't necessarily like see wealth, why do we hide it? 
Why do you think? Um, I think first and foremost, it's because we're judgy people. We've got judgments about everything and opinions about everything and knee-jerk reactions about everything. So my experience, if uh, I'm going to get slapped around and judged, like, why do I want to put it out there? If we can't see wealth, why do we hide it? We're judgy people. We don't talk about money, Matt, which is why we're trying to have this conversation out loud about money. If we start to peel back the layers and peek behind the curtain, what will that do in our society and in our relationships if we have some relaxed comfort around talking about wealth, what our struggles are, um, where we're at in the game, where we might have hit some roadblocks and hiccups? Like if we can't see it, we hide it, I think, because we're just judgmental people. Yeah. I think also when we talk about wealth and money, there's shame or guilt or someone's always doing better than us. There's that association with it. And I think also on the flip side of that, sometimes we feel bad talking about money and wealth because we're embarrassed that we might have more money than the person we're talking to. Mm -hmm. And there's sometimes shame in that as well. You know, we don't want to buy the nicer car or the nicer house because we don't want people to think differently than us or think differently of us. There's an investment group out there called the Capital Group that published research not not too long ago showing that Americans are more comfortable talking about marital discord, mental health, addiction, and politics more than they're comfortable talking about money, which is pretty wild. But I think it boils down to a question of like, what are we even talking about when we talk about wealth? Like, what do we even mean? Is it talking about the exact dollar figures? Like, you know, what's your net worth? Or how much money did you make last year? Because if that's what we're talking about, I don't know that we necessarily need to discuss that outside of a one-on-one conversation with a spouse or a trusted financial professional. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's being more open uh, to talking about ideas and strategies to build wealth, whether it's you know, ways to negotiate your salary or knowing when to refinance your mortgage. I think those type of types of conversation can be immensely helpful and can be had without making anybody feel bad or, or guilty or, or jealous. You know, what are we talking about? Words matter. And to be really clear about that, like Matt, you shared an anecdote with me the other day that um, there were some financial advisors in the industry um, who shared publicly like their actual hard, do- hard dollar net wealth. Incredible. Thinking that it would be this gateway to transparency and having these conversations. And one person did it and then a couple other people got on the bandwagon. And the observation is that it was kind of like an awful humble brag, like had the opposite effect of like transparency and vulnerability. It was like this weird braggadocious, like, ew, ew, I don't want to talk about it that way. So I think it's really important. Like, what are we talking about? And when is it a useful part of the conversation in a very intimate and valued relationship with an advisor, a spouse, friends, family members, with your children? So when we talk about words matter, we're also talking about this concept of net wealth and net worth, and they're so subtle and they're so different. And I think it takes just a very intentional awareness of the words that we use. When we talk about what's your net worth? What's your net worth, Matt? Hey, Matt, what's your net worth? It's like, oh, my goodness. I am more than than the dollars in my bank account. I, my worth is not tied into the stockpile of money. So I think that if we can start to help shift and shape the conversation around net wealth, I would even take it a step further. Like, is it wealth? It's resources. What are net resources? And we can talk about that a little bit later. But 
Yeah, Matt, what's your experience with words like wealth, worth, net, gross, conversations? You, first and foremost, have very intimate conversations with people and their finances. What does that transparent conversation look like and how long does it take to get there? Yeah, I think, you know, actually going back to your previous point about the financial advisors that had written about their personal situation, there was one advisor who I think their original intent was to show their clients how they thought about building wealth and also that they invested the same way that their clients invested. And he wanted to prove that, hey, I'm eating my own cooking here. So he wrote a post about the details of his own financial situation. And the original post, I don't think he had any specifics about numbers or anything. But then it, it kind of took on a life of its own. And all these other advisors are, you know, writing similar posts and 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 starting to actually include dollars and figures and cents and saying, oh, my business is worth X and I drive a car worth X. And, you know, like you mentioned, it did come across as a humble brag. And there was actually a a post, I can't remember if it was in the Washington Post or the New York Times about all these advisors that had done it. And the story was about, yeah, it's like a humble brag. And why why are we doing this? It's not really helping anybody. And I think it, the reason it ended up not helping anybody is because you, you started getting into the dollars and cents um, of it. And when you're broadcasting that at large, again, it's just not terribly helpful to anybody. But if you're having an intimate conversation with a one-on-one professional, like I had previously alluded to, I think you can... I think you can really drill down into, you know, why are we talking about this, why it matters. And it matters because we're trying to get to a certain point to achieve the things that are important to us. And you have to talk about dollars and cents when when you're trying to have that conversation of, you know, this is my lifestyle, this is what it costs. How do I how do I achieve what what is most important to me? Mm-hmm. Um, but when we're broadcasting it out there, you know, I I don't know that it's it's the most helpful. Right, right, Matt. When we were talking about this episode and this theme today, I went back and forth with you. I am ready to talk out loud and and pull back my own curtain. I want to walk the talk in that way. If I want to talk about money and all the things we don't talk about, like I'll be the first to the table. And after some deep thinking and reflecting on it, coming to the conclusion, like I will, I will gladly have that conversation with you. Let's make an appointment. Let's do this one-on-one. Let's look eyeball to eyeball because it's not about broadcasting it. It's not about bragging and that, that doesn't do anything for anyone. But if you want to sit down and have that one-on-one with me, gladly, I would love to share what I do, what's helpful for me, what I've learned, the lessons that I've hit the hard knocks, and then you can take that and run with it and you do you. So open invitation, clients, make an appointment. Let's, let's talk shop. Happy to. You know, and part of that is wanting to respond in kind. When clients come to me, I understand that talking about money is wrought with so many emotional um, anxieties and tensions. It's embarrassing, um, shameful. I don't know what I'm doing. And we just sit down on the couch across from each other, eye to eye, and just say, it's okay. It's okay. You got to this point. You can make new decisions going forward whatever you want for your life. So I, I'm also feeling kind of this reciprocity in some of the relationships I have with my clients. It's like, it's not just about me holding all the cards and you looking up to the shiny polished version of me. I'm a human too. I've made choices and decisions and have regrets about money and hangups and issues about money too. I want to be your professional advisor. And so there's a time and a place to do that. Yeah, that's really good. When, when we think about building wealth and accumulating wealth and preserving wealth 
What role do you think luck plays into that? I think really, really high. (laughs) I think I have been so fortunate in my life and I've worked really hard, but I didn't choose the country I was born into. I didn't choose the family I was born into. I didn't choose um, the opportunities that I had. So a little bit of hard work around along the way, but so lucky, so lucky. And what we talked about in prior episodes is maybe what are some of these money lessons that it might've fostered some gratitude and compassion? Definitely. I feel really fortunate that I feel like I've lived at, at the margins and I feel real fortunate that I've lived in a comfortable space so that I have experienced the spectrum and I can try and start to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. So luck, a lot of luck. And every time I bring that up in conversation, no, 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 Leah, you've worked so hard. I'm like, dang straight I have, dang straight. Like CPA exam, no joke, absolutely no joke. The sacrifices I've made to live away from friends and family, to pursue different goals and dreams and to get to this point, a lot of hard work, part and parcel and in tandem with just as much luck. That's my, that's my experience, Matt. What about for you? I think 90% of any success that I've had, professionally at least, could be attributed to luck. 90 plus percent, for sure. Wow. I don't know the exact number. But I think luck plays such a larger and more impactful role than we're willing to give it credit for. You know, as you mentioned, you know, living in this country, growing up, the way that I grew up, you know, middle class, upper middle class, and having the color of my skin. And I got my first job out of college because of a family friend who was a partner at the firm. And it's not to minimize, you know, the hard work that I put in to capitalize and maximize the opportunities that I've been presented um, and the doors that have been open for me. But those doors that have been open for me can largely be attributed to luck. Mm. It's the doors that are opened. You can do with it what whatever you choose to do with it. But I think the doors that are presented, um, that's where luck really comes into play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we're acknowledging that um, not everyone, at least in the world, let alone this country, have had the access and advantages of those opportunities. And to just take it with a dose of gratitude, which I like hearing. So thanks for that insight. Yeah, we talked about words and luck and net wealth versus net worth. So all y'all out there, let's just agree. We're going to talk about net wealth and not net worth. Like I'm over it. I'm so over it. What's your net worth? Um, But at the same time, how do we calculate net? What does net mean? It is such an accounting term. And I'll start with like we we start with um, what's in the bucket. So we call those gross. What's in the bucket? Everything, just everything, everything, everything. And then we start to subtract obligations. We start to subtract mortgages. We start to subtract credit cards. We start to subtract things that we would have to pay someone to be free and clear and wholly unencumbered. So net means after subtractions. If you're starting with revenues, if you're starting with assets, take a simple example, you own your home and let's say it's worth $300,000, but you owe 250 on it you have a net asset of $50,000, 300 minus 250. If you were to sell it today and pay off the bank, you would have $50,000 in your pocket. That is your net. It is after subtractions. And at the same time, we started with the fair market value of your house. And guess what? That's a moving target. It could change daily. It could change hourly. 
It could change weekly, monthly, annually. It is a moving target. I think right now most of the states understand that we're kind of in a housing bubble. So this bubble can burst at any time, which means the fair market value of some of those assets can escalate or they can decrease and dip. And so that that concept of a net wealth is always a moving target. Yeah, I think your the value of your house probably changes by the minute, quite Ooh. honestly. There's so many factors that influence what your home is worth. And I think it probably changes by the minute. There's just no ticker tape um, on your home that shows, hey, here's the fair market value right the second. Yeah. So if you were to ask me to calculate my net wealth today, it would be it would be totally different this evening as it is tomorrow morning. Um, because at the same time, think about your investments in the stock market, if that's your thing. Those change hourly, by the second, minute to minute. What does that calculation even mean, Matt? So if we're talking about net, we're talking about after subtractions, we're talking about fair market value, how do we even kind of set a target on what our net is if net has consequences and factors in terms of retirement and when we retire and how much we have and need in retirement. It's a it's a calculation that affects us maybe more in the long term than it does in the present day. And yet it's our present day actions that will affect and influence where we end up in our end game. So what does this net calculation even mean? Yeah, I think from a number standpoint, it doesn't mean anything. But, you know, if we're talking about net worth or wealth or whatever we want to call it. I think we're settling on on uh, net wealth, which I Thank like. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's literally just a number on a piece of paper. It's the account statements that you receive each month that, you know, get shredded or thrown in a closet, probably. But if you're willing to go through a comprehensive planning process that determines, you know, to achieve your dreams and ambitions, your number has to be X then great, work toward that number because that's going to be the tool to to achieve those things. But if we haven't done any sort of financial planning and thinking through what's important to us and quantifying our goals and aspirations and what they cost, anchoring to a number and calculating our net wealth, I mean, what's it for? It, it seems frivolous if, if we haven't really um, kind of laid out what's important to us and, and why we're working toward these things. Well, it sounds like you're saying like it can like evaporate in an instant. And at the same time, if we don't know what we don't know, we'll never get there. This concept of coming up with a plan will affect and influence the choices we make today, how much we save, how much we spend, where it all goes, and also how long it will take to get there. I run the gamut of conversations with people of like, what's your retirement plan? I don't know. I'll just, I'll just keep working. Okay. That's Okay. And some people are like, I've got an exact hour and minute I am retiring and I can't wait and I'm going to make it. And sometimes that brings relief to people. But I think the, de- the the concept of like, I don't know, we'll see. Is it worth it to you to find out? Is it worth it to you to never get there, to never experience, to never do X? Yeah, I, I recently spent some time with somebody and their goal in life, not their only goal, but a goal that they had in life was for their investment portfolio to grow to $10 million. For some reason, they'd anchored to $10 million. And for years, they'd grinded and worked really hard to get to that number. And the day they got to that number, they opened their account statement and they'd achieved the number. And they said they looked at it for 30 seconds and then threw it in the closet and nothing changed. They Hmm. woke up the next day, they did the same things they always do. And so they thought that achieving this number for some reason would bring them happiness. And once they hit it, you know, they felt no more happiness. And it was just a number that came and went. 
And they said it caused them to really reevaluate their thought process and what was important. They ended up actually purchasing a vacation home that they knew was definitely a suboptimal financial decision and would bring, you know, that uh, portfolio well below $10 million. But the memories and joy that they would create at that home with the people closest to them were priceless. And it just brought them so much more happiness in life that now they had this place to to create these these fantastic memories with their friends and family and, and colleagues and um, just the people close to them. So um, mm. I thought that was kind of an interesting anecdote. And I think we oftentimes anchor to these numbers without doing any planning. And it's just arbitrary. I don't know. I guess I'm saying frivolous again, but it's kind of frivolous and, unless we're intentional about the planning process and like what what this number is going to help us achieve. That is such an uplifting story for me to hear. They had a target and they had a plan and there was a lot of value and validation in having a plan and the hard work and the reaching after some of their goals. But how incredible to get to that goal, realize it didn't really ring their bell and be like, what else is there? Oh, life, time, experiences, connections. And they went for it. It's one thing to realize it. They just as easily could have been stymied in not pulling that trigger. How incredible. And I have to imagine that it was like a nerve wracking decision that like it still was really uncomfortable. And but like they had the courage to try. They had the courage to try. And hopefully like they could have reversed that decision if they ultimately decided it was not worth it or comfortable. They could have sold. They could have put the money back. They could have elevated that number. But I think what you're also getting at is this concept of we've done the calculation, we've started with our assets, we've subtracted all of our obligations, and we've come down to the net. We've talked about um, our inclination and penchant for wanting to show off and receive external validation. And at the end of the day, we just kind of shrug our shoulders and go, huh, well, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like the number doesn't matter, but having the plan does. Yeah. I have conversations all the time. And with clients that are doing financial planning and retirement planning and trying to figure out what number they need to get to, to achieve what's important to them. And a lot of times at the end of that, and I think we do a really good job of talking about like why we're doing this because it's, it's to achieve the things that are important to you. And then at the end, so this is on me for not doing a good job of it, but they'll say, you know, I'm really unhappy in my job. I could retire right now, but I really want to get to 5 million. And it's like, well, why, what, what would you do differently? And we're all guilty of that. And I've even done that myself of like, I want to get to X, but it's like, why? What would I do differently? I think it's just, I don't know. It's the allure of that number that at the end of the day is is kind of meaningless. I don't want to belittle the concept of like working hard, um, saving for retirement and taking care of yourself. I do think that that is a very, very strong cultural value in our country. And I think it's it's been really important. Take care of yourself make the choices that will get you there. So so audience, that is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about just kind of frivolous free-for-alls here, but really trying to figure out and just pause and and create some space and say, wait a minute, does it make me incremental, incrementally happier? Is this something that I value? Does this add to my connections with the people in my life? I need to get there. I need to take care of myself. I need to make sure I have my health care up until I'm 80. Like, I get that. And so that is kind of the focus of accumulating wealth so we can take care of ourselves. But beyond that, what's that number? Do I have enough to um, send postcards to my friends? Yes, plenty. That's enough. Like, just what are the things that are important to you? So, so what does it all mean? Nothing. It really doesn't. 
it might give you some semi-relief about the future. But Matt, at the end of the day, I think that this concept of wealth, it's what we started with. It affords opportunity. It affords choice. And you have said in this last segment, you know, what's important to you? What's important to you? What's important to you? You get to choose. And then it's up to us to actually spend the time thinking about it and making decisions around it, um, constantly like fine tuning because it will change as your life changes, as your circumstances change, as life happens to you, what's important to you will change. But to kind of keep your eye on that target, to always have the choice, always have the choice to leave a job that makes you unhappy, to always have the choice to try a new adventure, to always have the choice to take your foot off the pedal so we can spend the time how we want with the people we want for as long as we want. That's what we're talking about when we talk about wealth. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think you alluded to it as just is consistently and constantly reevaluating what is important to us and and being honest about that because you're exactly right. As we age, as experiences impact us, what is important to us does change. And so constantly reevaluating and being intentional of and asking ourselves, is this really making me happy? Um, I think is important. So, yeah. Any other final thoughts on this concept of wealth? Um, I know I mentioned earlier that I talked about it's not just net wealth, but it's net resources. As we talked about luck, what are all the other factors and circumstances that have contributed to my capacity and ability to build wealth? It's not just my wealth. Um, I've had the the loving family in my life and I have a strong, healthy body sort of, and I have the friends and encouragement and support in my life. So this concept of net resources to help us keep moving along in this, what in this game, I think is also important to remember. Yep, absolutely. And just, you know, trying to have a healthy mindset toward it of, you know, this is just a tool for me rather than worship wealth and, and money and accumulation. Like a lot of times, we're conditioned to and in, in the culture that we live in. So um, that's all that I have. Nice. Well, let's wrap up with a quote, Henry David Thoreau, go confidently in the direction of your dreams, live the life you've imagined. Reach out to us. If you'd like to make a plan, if you'd like to talk numbers, happy to do that, Matt. Until next time, we hope you have a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>